You have chosen well that watchword, go. And what a wonderful word that is. That's what Moses said when he was in the wilderness to the people going to the promised land, go. And then our Lord Jesus, in his early ministry, he said, I must go to the next village and there to preach this good news of salvation. Large crowds had come. There had been a successful ministry. But Jesus said, I must go to that next place. And then the other word that I've summed up the whole Bible, not only going, but come. You remember the come to those who desire thirst of water. And the last invitation of the Bible, the last chapter of Revelation, it says, come. Whoever is a thirst, let him come and drink of the water of life. So we come to Jesus and he takes our burdens. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And how wonderful it is to come to Jesus and then to hear his word to go. We were in Alabama. I was pastor of a church and had become the director of missions in South Alabama. Gloria and I had married. And God began to stir in our hearts, and we became aware of the lostness of people around the world. At the New Orleans Seminary, I had already heard that many people are waiting for a gospel preacher. And when Dr. Baker James Cawthon came to a missionary day, he told us about the countries of the world where there was a need of a preacher. And he had said, some of you are going to go to Florida and Alabama and Mississippi and Louisiana into Texas to preach. But I would like for you to put your eyes on the fields which are there where they need a Christian worker. And how wonderful it is as Gloria and I were working in South Alabama. One day the Holy Spirit moved upon us and tapped us on the shoulder and gave us that wooing of his spirit to go and serve him in another country. We had sung a long time that wonderful hymn, Send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue, souls to send the light. And one day we heard his voice, and he said, I don't want you to send the light. I want you to take it. And how wonderful it's been as we've gone to Bangladesh. When we first got there, it was still East Pakistan. We saw the independence. The old flag came down, and the new flag came up. My boys, a red head and a white head, were standing out beside the road with their Bengali friends, waving their new flag, welcoming the birth of Bangladesh there on the east side of India. Sometimes I was preaching out under a coconut tree. At other times, I was out in an open rice field. Sometimes I was in a thatched building. Sometimes I was down by the river. Sometimes I was telling the good news of the gospel in an open marketplace. And I have to tell you, though we did it for 35 years, I never lost the sense of wonder and joy that God would put his precious treasure in our hands. He would allow us to be witnesses for him and to take his good news. He was already there working. There were strong, small churches. They had served the Lord faithfully. There had been 200 years of seed sowing since the time of William Carey. And then God was there, and he opened a door, and we happened to be his workmen. 
who were there at that particular time. We're thankful today that he led us there. And for these years of service, my two boys were born in Bangladesh. Now they are 51 and they are 49. Both of them are in Christian ministry. One works with American Airlines and makes his bread, but he's also a bivocational pastor on the edge of Fort Worth. The name of the little community where this church is is Rome, R-H-O-M-E, and they call my younger son David the Bishop of Rome, and we think that's interesting. So we served from 1964 till 1999. I'm now 85 and Gloria's 87. We're on Medicare and all Plan A and Plan B, and God continues to bless us. We have good health, and we continue to be active in the service of the Lord. He's never through with us. If some of you thought you were going to retire and slow down, we're like Dr. Winston Crawley, who was one of the workers at the board when he retired. He came to speak to our group after 10 years of retirement, and he said, I want to tell you, I flunked retirement. I didn't pass it. He was still very active. I'm working at First Baptist Church in Columbia, minister to senior adults, and it gets better as you go along. Gloria and I say we serve in this time, and our lives are like the strawberry shortcake. You know that's wonderful. But you put a great big helping of whipped cream on that strawberry shortcake, and oh, it's good. And that's what God is doing for us at the age of 85. It gets better as you go along. And I have one prayer, oh, Lord, help me to get to the finish line and help me to finish well. And I believe that you have a similar goal like that today. I wanted to answer a question, why to missionaries, why do missionaries go? Early in our career, I heard a commotion outside our gate, and there was a large group of Muslims. This was a special festival. They call it Muharram. This is one of the main festivals of Islam. And I heard them going down the street in a chant. There must have been 300 of them. They were stripped down to their shorts. They didn't have on a shirt. They had leather straps. And they were beating themselves. On that strap, they had broken glass. They had razors. And when they passed our gate, I noticed their backs were bleeding. And it looked very much like hamburger meat. They were hoping to do something to take care of their sin. You see, deep in the human heart, there's this feeling that something is out of sorts with God. And many of the people around the world, they do only what they've been told to do. How glad we were to share with them through those years and say he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. And he took that guilt that was on us and he shared it with others. And how grateful we've been to see as God reached in the lives of Muslims and Hindus and now the Buddhists of Bangladesh as they begin to move toward Christ as the door has been opened. Missionaries go. And as they go, serving, scattering precious seed, And all that has been accomplished, we couldn't take any credit for any of that. There's a small picture over here of uh, Shubash Bomik, a Bengali man. He was a Hindu from a high-caste Hindu family. His father was a village doctor. He married a Christian woman, Mariana. And um, 
Mariana, after she had witnessed to him, she led him to the Lord. And she went to the local church. He was a prominent family man. And that local church said this would, might bring pressure on us. And uh, Shubash, they didn't want to baptize him for the pain that might come to them. And so one day she, they showed up at our gate. Mariana's uncle was my pastor in Ganj, where we live. And she says, I've led my husband to the Lord, and I want you to baptize him. Uh, we haven't found a church that would baptize him. And so Shubash was baptized. He grew as a Christian. In time, they came to the United States. He had a son with Gillian Barre syndrome. He came here for treatment. He had gifts in church planning and organized the first Bengali church in America, in New York City. He went on to work with the New York Baptist Convention. And in the year 2007, they were appointed by the International Mission Board. And he serves in India, Bangladesh, and Nepal today. And what a wonderful worker he is. And I wanted to tell you about Shubash. He is now involved in teaching young pastors. And in this new wave of missionaries, there's a need for preachers who are well-trained and gifted in the Word of God, telling the good news and um, working with young preachers. And in the early days, I was on the front side of evangelism, but as God opened a door and Muslims and Hindus were responding, there was a need for somebody to come and train workers. So often we would have training sessions, sitting on the floor, telling them all that we knew about the Lord and about His Word and what He had meant to us. And then to hear their testimony, how they had gone out in the weeks after their training. And the next time they would come and tell us of the victories that they had won and how the people had responded. I've often been asked, did you like what you were doing? I said, oh, yes, when I sat with those 20 or more young pastors, most of them were not even five years old in the faith, sharing with them the good news of the gospel and seeing what God was doing through them and with them. And uh, I wouldn't trade any pulpit that I've ever seen for my pulpit in that simple thatch building sitting on a dirt floor sharing the good news of the gospel. Shubash does a lot of this in India, training young pastors, and he tells one day he was uh, preaching and working with these young preachers all day long. And on in the afternoon, up near Varanasi, he saw an old man standing in the back. And when the group had been discharged and they left, this old man came to Shubash and said, Sir, I've been listening to what you said, and I didn't understand it. Would you tell me again what you were telling them? And Shubash there on the spot witnessed to this 78-year-old, and that old man trusted the Lord that day. The next day, as Shubash had his program, he looked back there and he saw three men, the older man, the 78-year-old, and with him there were two others. And as they came in, the old man said, Sir, I heard what you said yesterday. And I went home and tried to tell my sons what you told me, but I didn't understand it all. Would you tell them what you told us? And Shubash shared with them, and they responded, and there they trusted the Lord. And in a week or so, 
of these three were baptized. What I found when I went to Muslim and Hindu villages in Bangladesh, so often the people weren't resistant. They had not denied the faith, but nobody had ever shared with them. And when we shared the story, some of them believed. Some were baptized. Some became discipled. Some have gone on to do the Lord's work. So whatever we do for the Lord, nothing is in vain. We had a revival in our country. God began to open the door. Independence had come. There was a freedom unlike anything we had ever seen. As the people, Muslim, Hindus, were responding to the gospel, in our church we got a new a little thatched hut, but we got a few funds, and we built a tin shed, and we had uh, pillars holding up that tin shed to withstand these terrific storms that blow in from the Bay of Bengal. We were in the midst of our dedication service, and we were having the prayer, and one of our older deacons was coming to give the prayer of dedication to thank God for the new building. And as he stood to speak, he looked around and he said, how many pillars do we have holding up this structure? And as he counted, for emphasis sake, he counted one, two, three, and there were ten pillars. And he said, could we make a covenant with our God today that each one of these pillars would represent a new church that God would lead us to establish and we prayed that afternoon. We made a covenant with our Lord. He reminded us that God is one who keeps his covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God's promises are secure. Well, for 10 years, we, the pastors, the deacons, the leaders of the church, we went out to the villages. And one by one, churches were organized. We asked the Lord for 10. And at the end of the 10-year period, that we had given ourselves, God had blessed us with 30 churches. You see, as people respond, God opens the door. It's his work, and he needs workers in opening that door. And may we be faithful in the task. Glory will come now and tell you something about her work as among the women of Bangladesh. And she begins by saying she doesn't usually correct her husband. Well, when he makes me 10 years older than I am, I correct him. I'm 77, not 87, not that it matters. He's still older than I am. It's a joy to share today what you have helped us do as we worked in Asia. And I'm so glad you're focusing on Asia today. You see, you're getting the has-beens this morning, but if you want the real-life missionaries, come tonight. Christy and James are going to tell you what it's like now. Thank you for praying and giving that the people of this vast continent may come to know, accept, and experience the joy that comes from knowing Christ. I want to begin by having you worship with me as we worshiped in Bangladesh. I want you to read the scripture with me. Now, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm not asking you to do it in Bengali, but I'm asking you to do it in English. You don't need your Bibles because if you're in Bangladesh, half of you can't read anyway. So whoever can read, reads a verse, and the congregation responds by repeating that verse. That way, every grandma, every grandpa, everyone who's in worship service can share in the service. So I want you to do three verses with me now. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. 
sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim his salvation day to day. His marvelous works among all people. Now you have done Psalm 96, 1 through 3, and we can then move on. That scripture we have tried to obey in Bangladesh, and we'll continue to try to obey it today as we declare his, proclaim his salvation and declare his deeds among all people. For people in America need the same message that the ones in Bangladesh did. Well, as a Western woman arriving in a Muslim world, the question always raised in my mind, was raised in my mind, how can I witness in a country that is so different, where the role of woman is so different? The woman walks five steps behind her husband. I'm having trouble with that even now. When we go out the door, Tom goes two steps, I'm five behind him already. So we didn't have any problem with that. We, women's not often called by name. Neighbors who had lived beside me for 14 years, if you walked into town suddenly into their house and said, where does Gloria Thurman live? Gloria Thurman, I don't know. Oh, Thurman, Thurman Shibe's wife. She lives right over there. Or after my boys came along, Philip's mother or David's mother. So I don't have a name. It didn't matter. They knew who I belonged to. And I could go with that. The women there knew that if they did not produce sons, didn't matter how many daughters they had, if they didn't have a son, they had given their husbands ground for divorce. The Lord knew I needed all the help I could get, and the only two he gave me were boys, so I could stay. How can an average woman, Alabama woman, work here? I asked my friends, the ladies whom I knew, and their response was the same. Whether Hindu, Muslim, or Christian, they said, dress properly. I'm dressed properly today, in case you wondered. This is what I had to learn to do. Six yards of material. Christy does it beautifully. Six yards of material. You begin by wrapping and you wrap until the material runs out. So every time I went outside my gate, I was dressed properly. They said, dress properly, cover your head, walk looking down, speak to no man, and go ahead. We know you have your husband's permission. So I tried to obey their rules. I didn't like walking down the street and knowing that every Muslim man in town, if they saw me, were out looking, staring as I went. If my husband had stared at their husbands like that, they would, there would have been a war on hand. He wouldn't have looked twice. My husband was real helpful to me on that score when I'd come home fretting. I just wish those men would quit standing at the gate staring when I'm walking down the street. I had to go if I was going to work with the women there. He said, don't worry about it. Just don't let it alarm you. They don't have TV over here. You give them something to talk about. That's the kind of support I had. I knew that God had sent me there, and I knew that my place to work was at home. And I want to say thank you for the homes you provided for us. Because you did what you did, I was able to stay there and work there. Lottie Moon and you provided houses for us. The biggest house you ever provided for us was one that you and Lottie didn't build. It was one we inherited from Australian Baptists, and it looked like a mansion. It was a big two-story bungalow by the Australian Baptist. Now, inside, if you saw inside, it wasn't as pretty as it was outside, but it was a good house. It was better than what most of the people around me had. In fact, one of our missionaries who lived there sent a picture home to her mother and said, this is the house where we live. It had just been freshly whitewashed outside. The sun was shining on it, that big two-story bungalow. Her mother wrote back and said, if you want people to give, keep giving the light of the moon, don't send that picture anymore. The smallest house we had that you provided for us was in a Muslim community. For four years, you rented a 900-square-foot house for us, two bedrooms. 
We did all right until Tom's brother and his family, family of five, came to visit us, and our boys were there, and a summer missionary was there, 10 of us in a two-bedroom house, 900 square feet, no electricity. Got the picture? Well, the folks from America wasn't too impressed with where we lived, and we thought after two days there, we better get them back into dock of the capital city so they could at least have some cool water and have a fan blowing. We got back into dock, and Tom asked his brother, younger brother Denny, said, Denny, what do you think about the place where we live? Denny and his Mississippi accent said, Thomas, all my life I've sung, wherever he leads, I'll go after this. I ain't even going to hum it. That tells you about the places where we lived, but you provided good houses for us. And I had a ministry because you provided the place for me. That house was a schoolroom for our boys up to the sixth grade, and it was a good place for them. I could say to my neighbors until lunchtime, after lunch, till 1 o'clock, I can't visit with you, and you'll have to understand my boys are in school here. Well, where's the school? Back in their bedroom back there. The boys got a little upset after they were old enough to realize that everybody else packed their backpacks and went to school in the morning. So they started mumbling among themselves, wish we could go to school. And I said, tomorrow morning, you'll go to school. Pack your bags, walk around the pond that's out in front of the house, come back in the gate, go to the school room. They didn't ask to go to school again. They knew where school was as it came. But you had provided it for us. Your home, the home you provided for us, was a dry place for neighbors because our country is known for the disasters floods and storms, cyclones, hurricanes, and that sort of thing. And people living down on the flat ground with mud floors were often looking for a higher place, for a dry place, at least to store their bedding. Several times we had 22 to 24 people sleeping with us because they didn't have a dry spot where the worms and bugs were not coming up through their bedding. Thank you that you provided for that. Our home was a shelter for frightened people during the time of the war. Those who fled the village in the daytime, they would have to go to the villages. At night, they were always concerned because at night is when the bad things would take place if the women were home particularly. And they would flee, go over the wall at night. I remember young men who came fleeing from the uh, Pak Army, Pakistani Army, would come and they'd say 11 of them were at our house one afternoon. And Tom said, I don't know how I'm going to say I can keep 11 of you, but we knew their lives were important too. And he said to them, all of you dress wearing the the usual dress for the man, which looks like a skirt tied in the front, and get out. And he said, there's a hibiscus tree out in our front yard. I'll say all of you are my gardeners. If you take that tree up, cut it into little small pieces, and plant us a hedge. We have hibiscus hedge the rest of the time because those 11 boys were out there working They spent the night at our house. If the military had come, Tom would say, they're working for me. The military didn't come, and they were able to get over the wall the next morning and go to safety. Thank you that you provided that safety for them. For women and children who were in distress, you provided. Because of disasters in our country, the home you gave us provided a place where we could give help. And you provided that help through disaster relief, through Lighty Moon and through the cooperative program. How many times we've had in our bathtub at the house, how many hundred little ducks from Thailand? Because the Thailand khaki Campbell duck would produce more eggs. The little Bengali duck would produce not 50 eggs a month, 50 eggs a week, no month, a year, Tom says. <laughs> you know, I'm great, I raise them. But the khaki Campbell duck would be over 80 
That makes a difference for a family that doesn't have enough eggs. And so the ducks were flown in because you provided the funds. We kept them in our bathtubs until the people could come from the villages and get these. We had goats in the yard because you provided high, better quality goats so people could live. This is after people had, were on the brink of starving after the time of the war and then the famine that came. We saw people peeling bark off of trees. We saw them cutting grass, putting it in a dry skittle eat, but you provided, you gave milk powder, you gave high-protein biscuits. Thank you that you allowed me to work and to serve. You helped me and gave a place where I could serve with my boys and with my husband as we worked there. As I gave medical aid, I'm not medically trained, but when you have an aspirin tablet and your neighbor's child is burning up with fever, you give that aspirin tablet. When you have a Band-Aid and a little child comes with a dirty cloth wrapped around an old sore finger, you give that Band-Aid and you say to him, tell your mother to come tomorrow and I'll tell her how to do it too. Well, when you got 3,000 people per square mile, you don't have to have a megaphone. You don't have to hang out a, place, a poster that said, here's the doctor. By word of mouth, before long, I became the village doctor. Tom said the village quacked for about... 20 years, 20 plus years, from every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I had to set a time, from 100 to 125 women and children came for basic first aid because they did not have it. And if I had it for my family, why couldn't I give it to them? And because I was willing to give, because the women were always asking, why are you willing to stay here and do this to wipe our sores and to live among such poverty? I said, oh, I want to tell you, because my God loves you. And he sent me to tell you that he loves you. Oh, the joy of seeing Christian women give the story. To hear them say to the village women, Hindus and Muslims, John 3.16 And to see them accept that truth, and become today the missionaries on the field themselves. Thank you that you allowed me to represent you and you made it possible for me to do what I did because you did what you did here in America. The people in Bangladesh don't throw out anything, a newspaper, a broken glass, anything can be used by somebody. The man will come by the hawker picking up these things and often will buy them. And wherever I go, I like to show my little kerosene lamp. This is an old condensed milk can. Somebody took it down, cut it, sorted it back together. And if I should light my little kerosene lamp this morning, you wouldn't at all be impressed. It would be smelly. It would be smoking. And we would be competing with these high-powered bulbs that we have in this building. But I wanted to tell you about my little kerosene lamp on a dark Bengali night when I went preaching, the lady of the house would light up her little kerosene lamp and she would put it on a lampstand. And would you believe that from this light I could see the faces of 300 Hindu or Muslim visitors who had come, looking into their faces, not only just seeing them, but getting an expression were they understanding what was being said as we told the gospel story. 
And I love to tell the story of my little lamp because uh, it shows that God wants us to just use the light that he gives us. He doesn't expect us to do that which we do not have, but oh, he wants us to be faithful for what we do have. And so often, as I looked at my little light, I thought about our light, and I said, oh Lord, it's so feeble. We were in the midst of a famine. People were dying on the streets. The early in the morning, the dump truck would come with a pitchfork and take these bodies out to the edge of the city. My Christian friends, there's a broken, a hurting, suffering, sinful world, and the Lord is calling us to take the light that we have to share with them. And no matter what you have, if you let your light shine where you are, that's what he wants us to do. Oh, think of the people in the hospital. Think of those in the nursing home. Think of the folks in the jail, in the prison. And oh, down the street, a home that is broken and people are hurting. And the Lord says to you, I want you to take my light and walk into that dark place. And I want to tell you, if you'll do it in his name, he's going to bless it. And with you, you become a part of building his kingdom. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ as we respond to his call. The Lord is moving in this congregation as he was in the temple with Isaiah. The people were there, but Isaiah had tuned his ear. His lips had been cleansed. He was ready for service. God had forgiven his sin. And the call came out, who will go for us? And Isaiah was listening and he said, I will go, I will go. And so he was commissioned and he went, and the Holy Spirit moves in his wonderful way in our congregation. Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? And today he's calling us, calling to salvation, to come, accept his truth, and then to go and make disciples. And with us, he's building his kingdom. Praise his holy name today. May we pray. In just a minute, the pastor will be coming and making any response that he needs to. But I wonder, do you know your neighbors? Have you looked down the street? Do you know anybody that's broken, hurting, living in darkness? And would you be able to say just now, Lord, I want my little light to shine for you. I want to light it, and I want it to shine for you. Make us those receptive people today, and may we be able to say, here am I, send me, in the Savior's name. Amen.